Welcome to the sixth episode of the sixth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, we live the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Pam Muscat, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to an incredible community member from the UK. She helps SaaS companies turn new customers into loyal ones and believes that software is like a machine. You only get the benefits if you use it properly. With over 20 years experience in software implementation, business development and learning and development, she helps her clients to take a human-centered approach to onboarding, education and supporting their own clients. Her passion for the people side of digital transformation brings harmony to the process through empathy, acceptance and realism. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest, CX sister, Susanna Simmons. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Claire. It's wonderful to have the software adoption doctor on the Women in CX podcast. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> and welcome to everybody who's listening or watching wherever you are. We are so glad you're here too. So Susanna, going to ask you the question I ask every Inspiring Women in CX podcast guest. And that is to start with, telling the audience how you found your way to the Women in CX community and how it's going so far for you. Uh, so I found the community, I believe, via uh, LinkedIn. And um, because I follow sort of all the, the customer experience hashtags and things, and it um, it came up on my feed and I was um, very much interested uh, in learning more. Uh, and supporting women in CX and yeah I applied to to be a member and um, haven't looked back let, let's put it that way uh, and I love the community I love the the different I love the variety of people so I've met some some amazing people already so a really good mix of, of sort of self-employed people, sort of consultants and so on like myself, but also people who are working in different industries and employed roles um, and just the, the resources that are available to us as members have been fabulous. But then also I think that the big thing for me, in addition to, to meeting new people and networking and so on, um, there have been some great opportunities for me and this, this is one, um, but mm -hmm. also uh, Thanks to to you and the community, I've had the opportunity to to secure a, a speaking um, position. So that's coming up next month, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, sort of being introduced to other people for other opportunities like that as well. So yeah, there is, there's just so much um, for for all of us as members to, and also it's good fun and everyone's really supportive as well. So it really is a a community that's so lovely to hear and also like all credit to you as well because when I post those opportunities that people are now coming to me asking we want to increase our gender diversity at our events and on podcasts and things you put your hand up and that, I think that's also a, an important part right of taking yeah, risks and going I want to do that um, yeah. rather than sitting quietly but also you've brought so much to the community as well when we talk about resources you know you came and delivered a webinar to explain the topic we're going to be talking about today to our members and um bringing your own kind of perspective and dynamic that is different to most traditional cx pros so 
thank you for um, taking part, getting involved, putting your hand up and contributing. Uh, we really appreciate you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm sure our listeners would love to know um, the story of the software adoption doctor <laughs> and how you got to where you are today. What was your career journey like? <laughs> uh, so I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, so yeah. I actually started out uh, in in training uh so longer that back than I really care to remember mm-hmm. um I ended up um being in a a training I suppose a training admin department but actually my skill set lended itself very well to improving the processes um and supporting my colleagues in that mm-hmm. admin team within in terms of improving those processes uh, and it, it was actually thinking about it it was a customer facing sort of admin team we were responsible for booking in people on courses and so on but I was very much the go-to person when it came to the tech stuff as well and so Mm. as I was improving these processes I was teaching them how to sort of use things like Word and Excel better I was always the one that fixed the photocopier that kind of thing so (laughs) yeah I've never shied away from the technology um so and I I always got really good feedback about sort of how patient I was um, and supportive and how I made what to some people seemed very complex actually mm. seem quite simple. Mm. Um, so so then I ended up um, kind of exploring this idea of becoming a trainer um, and and it kind of felt like a logical sort of first step to become an IT trainer. So that's mm-hmm. what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I ended up sort of in a variety of roles, I suppose. So I started out sort of classic IT training in terms of Microsoft Office and so on. But then um, I left the organization I was with and I ended up going into financial services and an organization. Mm-hmm. It was during um sort of a bit of a pension crisis time and they were having to do a whole big pension review and they had to track all the data so they brought in this tracking system that everybody was really fearful about because it was this whole felt like this big brother um Mm. situation and so it was then I suppose was a key time for me of realizing the importance of human behavior human emotions which has always been of interest in mine I've always been interested in psychology and sort of neuroscience um and actually this whole idea of well you know let let's take a walk in in the user's shoes you know this this mm-hmm. is this isn't about um us trying to monitor what they're doing and when they're going for toilet breaks and those kind of things it was actually the the reason was is because we needed the data around that pension that was being reviewed and when it's been picked up and put down and how much time was spent on it and by whom and and it was about getting those key messages about the why over to people so so I really enjoyed that so that I suppose kind of took me through um, a lot of experience, I suppose, on the um, the customer side of things when it comes to um, software and software adoption. Um, mm-hmm. And then I spent a, a good chunk of my career working on the supplier side um, and actually seeing it from the other side of um kind of selling the software in and then trying to get people to use it and some of the the challenges around that and working with sales and support teams and some of the siloed working that comes out of that and some of the frustrations and them thinking about yeah but it's straightforward it's easy 
for you like, yeah, but yeah exactly <laughs> you're the experts yeah. and so so yeah so um so I suppose that's kind of where it came about is that uh, using that experience of both sides and actually my firm belief that software companies really have a responsibility to um, be part of that adoption journey and actually it's it's in their interests to you know to build that mm. that customer loyalty to build their recurring revenues and so on um, and so it's you know it's time and energy well spent in in my view but so often um you'll see something sold in and then it's the the client left. that sort of has <laughs> to yeah they're left to do mm. that or they pay another company like an external consultant mm. to help with the, the adoption piece mm. whereas you know actually the the, the software the software companies are potentially leaving money on the table but also mm. you know they can deepen those relationships they can learn a lot by going through that process with their their clients um if if they kind of put the effort into doing that so I suppose that's that's where I got to um to where I am in terms of software adoption doctor so I really focus on supporting those software companies to be doing a better job um yeah and and, um, I know we're going to come and talk about this shortly again about well-being but you also have a second business right <laughs> I do yes yeah I missed that bit out didn't I so right. when I uh when I first left the corporate world um I was a little bit lost what I was um doing and I didn't I hadn't decided on the idea of the software adoption doctor at that point um but I had I did go on a bit of a personal fitness journey it was post having a child um, had a bit of weight to lose and so on so I was working with uh, a trainer um, doing her sort of boot camp program anyway I left corporate world didn't have an income coming in anymore but I still wanted to keep up the, mm. the fitness side of things so um, I did a bit of an exchange of services with her and that ended up uh, leading to me actually becoming a fitness instructor so it's 10 years this year <laughs> that that happened um so yeah so I'm also the feel-good fitness coach so I work as uh, sort, of, sort of beta to see in that sense helping mm -hmm. people who realize that they're not getting any younger mm -hmm. um to <laughs> But they, they realize they're not getting any younger, but they want to live as long and as well as possible. Mm. Um, so it's really about developing healthy habits. Um, and actually, there's that last a lifetime. <laughs> yes, there is a lot of crossover mm. in terms of what I talk about in terms of well-being, um, both you know as a fitness coach and as a software adoption adopter which people might be a little bit surprised about but yeah it's all about behavior change and habits so yeah well all right I've got one more question to ask you and then we're going to dive right into that connection yep. that relationship and uh and how that applies to customer experience but um what would one big challenge or barrier you've had to overcome be um in order to become the woman you are today is there anything you can pick out in that long career journey that's 
um, something of value that our listeners can learn from. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually uh, the thing that springs to mind is quite early on in my career. So when I kind of made that decision to become a trainer, mm-hmm. behind that is, I suppose, a more a personal story of I was always known as the shy, quiet one. Um, and and it was a label I didn't particularly mm-hmm. like. Um, so I challenged myself. And so how do you do that? How do you build your confidence where you put yourself in front of a room of people and you know become a trainer for a living? It's not what everybody would do, but that that was the the way that that I went about it. Um, so that was what I did. So that was early twenties. That really sort of boosted my confidence. Um, but then with that, then came. Uh, I suppose an additional challenge in terms of you know competence wasn't enough as a trainer so I knew my stuff um Mm. in terms of you know the Microsoft Office suite and so on but I also was disadvantaged a little bit of being very young looking unfortunately Mm. that phase has now passed (laughs) but back then you know I used to still get asked for ID on a fairly regular basis and so on and so being up in front of a room of people in a credibility and so there was the I had the competence you know the putting myself in front of the room and becoming a trainer gave me the confidence and then it was about sort of building building credibility and and those I suppose those three things have really served me well um throughout my career and then I suppose more recently I would add um with with everything that I do um I would actually add empathy but it's not a C so I'm going to say compassion (laughs) instead so that I can have all the C's but it's Mm. about being compassionate and and that comes back to bit of what we were just saying about being able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes um, mm. and that's one of the reasons why I I continue to sort of put myself outside of my com- comfort zone I continue to learn new things so that I never forget what it's like to be new to something and to be a learner because I think that's so important and as we just said some of some of those people who are maybe um, in the software companies, for example, that know their product inside out, they forget what it's like to see it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and not and naturally that... be a technologist. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I I suppose I never want to to forget what that feels like. So I do a lot of my own sort of behind the scenes stuff with my business because, again, it, it takes me on that journey on a regular basis. So I get frustrated with um, not being able to find the information that I need or it not being particularly clear, all those sorts of things. So I go on that journey on a regular basis. Yeah, and I can always, always rely on you to point out if there are any user wellbeing issues in my customer <laughs> journeys, like when my calendar wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I was just going to ask you a question about like why you attracted that label, which isn't cool to be labeled anyway but like is you naturally introverted would you say is that like your natural yeah Yeah, Yeah. because and I have so much kudos for you then why anyway but like to to be naturally introverted and then choose a career path where you're standing in front of rooms of people and training people (laughs) that's like against your nature isn't it to become who you are today yeah Um, and 
how, how then, do you like manage that balance like the balance with yourself around naturally being introverted and then being expected to the extra version of what typically comes with training yeah and it's interesting you will find quite um uh, a lot of trainers are introverted um and we we do learn to sort of get that balance and we we get a we get a buzz from um the training room but there's also that and this links very nicely to the whole well-being topic <laughs> of knowing what drains you and what fires you up and so on and you um you have to be quite careful about how much you commit to so I know for me that I then need to be able to have time to myself mm-hmm. um and I also need to make sure that I don't put too much training delivery in my diary mm-hmm. because that will burn me out very quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so so yeah um, I think the the other thing, actually, in addition to being introverted that I just thought of um, about being sort of shy and quiet is also a fear of failure. Mm. Um, and so not necessarily wanting to put myself out there for fear of getting things wrong. You know, that was a big thing for me as a, a child. You know, I remember from my school days and so on, I didn't like to get things mm. wrong. Um, but actually, and so that's another thing that I've really learned um, over the years of actually you know trying what's the um the the acronym of fail first attempt in learning um and mm-hmm. so that's a big thing for me so now I just treat everything as an experiment and go well it hasn't failed I've just learned something new <laughs> um so that that's been a big thing as well yeah I had a whole conversation um with Natasha Dendeka for another podcast episode about um you have to fail to succeed mm-hmm. because if you spend your whole life in the safe zone, like you're never going to learn enough to be able to progress. Uh, and I, I'm a snowboarder. So I remember like, I was so frustrated learning how to snowboard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. You just fall over constantly. <laughs> but like, they, I remember the instructor saying to me, if you're not falling over, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> you're not pushing yourself enough um, to give it a go. But also like, it's those difficult times where you do feel mm-hmm. that you do learn right because when I, I always get uncomfortable when I'm too comfortable not that that's happened for a long time since I've had a startup but <laughs> recognizing like if this you know things are just got a bit too easy or a bit too like yeah like comfortable then I that's the sign for me that I'm, I'm probably needing to look to start to do something different or take yeah. the next step um definitely not there right now it's, it's con- <laughs> constant learning experience for me right now um but we're, we're getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable because that's actually a good yes. thing because that it means is. I'm in a growth period where if I don't feel entirely comfortable that means I'm developing and that was a huge mindset shift for me because I used to feel so uncomfortable when I was uncomfortable <laughs> yeah and hate it and think being out of my um, comfort zone as I recognize it now was a bad thing I'd feel unsafe yeah. I'd feel like I was in danger and I was also afraid so I totally totally get you and the last point I was just going to pick up on was that um experience that I also understand of being young and female and being taken seriously even though I had bags of credentials yeah that there was just an automatic assumption because I was a young woman and I was a very feminine young woman in a corporate environment um that sometimes like people would would auto- automatically assume that 
I not wasn't going to be taken seriously, but they don't quite often ask me to make tea and take notes and <laughs> um yeah, like that was a big confidence knock for me. And also being a young woman with an opinion was frowned upon, I felt a lot of the time. Like yeah. I would see another graduate the same age as me that was a guy and he would demonstrate a behavior like speaking up and get praise and then I would do something and express my opinion and it was like who do you think you are (laughs) (laughs) equivalent so yeah so that really really resonated with me there's one there's one client that really sticks in my mind um from my day so I was managing the education services department of a um large international organization so I was responsible for Europe and um there there was one client and he he was a male older than me and he just my name is Susanna and some people, you know, will often ask me, are, are you a Susanna or do you prefer to be called something else? He just automatically made this assumption that I was a Sue. You know, he called me Sue, really familiar. And then he he sort of treated me as if I was just a, a glorified admin person. And I used to sometimes sit there in frustrated moments and be like, I'm, I'm managing a multi-million part of a business and I'm <laughs> responsible for these trainers and the sales and the marketing and all this stuff and the operations and and he's treating me like I'm just an admin person that just and and just an admin person um, makes is a bit derogatory <laughs> or admin people I actually quite enjoy admin and you know I've got a lot of respect for people that work in administration roles but it, but there was just something in there that niggled me about it and as you can tell it stuck with me that just sometimes people make these assumptions about how they can treat you and so on and and yeah it's there are still some things that need to change because I think that would still be the same today and we're probably about 10, 15 years on. You've just given me a flashback actually as well <laughs> of um, being at a client event when I was working in B2B and a, a quite inebriated middle-aged male client walking over to me and being like, who's PA are you then? <laughs> when I was like head of department, <laughs> just that automatic assumption. You're, you're young and female you must be somebody yeah yeah not 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 that there's anything wrong with being fpa but it was just the assumption like the automatic yeah assumption yeah that bothered me anyway so let's move into well-being then um, yes so i was i was thinking whilst you were sharing some of the um, insights earlier on about the, these connections i guess I, I have a bit of a hypothesis around mm-hmm. um digital transformation failures and failures to adopt the technology. <laughs> yeah. Um, particularly, I think, in a B2C environment um, and also behind the scenes with employees yeah. struggling to adopt technology, that there's yeah. definitely a huge connection between success and adoption. <laughs> um, yeah. And as you pointed out, um, it's frequently mis- uh not invested in enough sufficiently Mm -hmm. and from a vendor point of view it's a dump and run (laughs) yes (laughs) occasionally but also what the what businesses often do and i see this frequently in customer experience or like especially from contact centers is they 
pull out the labor that was allocated to the benefits case for implementing the technology in the first place pretty quickly before mm-hmm. there's been chance to bed in. Yeah. So the knock-on impact on customer and employee experience can be disruptive at best and damaging at worst. Um, so I'd love to d- dive in a little bit more deeply into the, these connections between software and adoption and well-being. Um, but it really resonated with me when you came and did the talk for the community about um, this perspective of, especially in B2B, mm-hmm. that quite often the focus on customer experience is on the client or the buyer. Yes. And that may not be anything connected to the user or the person that's actually having to use the technology on a day-to-day basis. So could you, for the listeners, in a kind of short version of the webinar, just explain this perspective on um, user well-being at a high level, and then we can dive a little bit deeper um, into that. Yeah, so I'll actually use an example, um, not exactly the same one as I used in in that session, because um, I just think I can summarise it a little bit more quickly. And it's actually not a B2B scenario. It's um, my husband and I recently bought a new electric car. Um, now, actually, in the situation there, the customer was my husband you know he he was driving that that purchase um excuse the pun um <laughs> and yeah and so you know the the main conversation uh, between the dealer and my husband you know about the, this car but actually from a user point of view I'm the one that does the majority of the driving I'm the one that's out on the road um so I'm I'm the user in that case. So straight away, we've got this example of where your customer isn't necessarily your mm-hmm. your user. Um, and so, my husband, he's he loves his gadgets. So mm-hmm. you know, he's dead excited about um, all of the sort of latest and and te- technology. <laughs> yep, that's going into this car and. Um, he he loves things like the sort of autopilot type options and all that kind the of Tesla. stuff. The Tesla. <laughs> yeah. And, but we didn't buy a Tesla though. Uh, so, um, but then for me, the, the key things for me are, um, and, and we already have an electric car, but we have quite an old one that the range is terrible, wouldn't get beyond Staffordshire. Um, mm-hmm. where I live you wouldn't get beyond there in it and mm-hmm. um, so so for me one of the key things for me was about you know how far can I get in this car and then also things like you know has it got a heated seat for when I'm driving in the winter how, how quickly can I defrost it when I've got to get up at the crack of dawn to run my fitness sessions mm-hmm. so that I'm not outside scraping mm-hmm. free? All, all these little bits and pieces mm-hmm. these are things that are important to my well-being and particularly the range thing because actually that's quite a stressful situation me trying to get on client site by a certain time I've already got things like the traffic and everything to factor in when I'm planning that journey Mm. so to have an extra thing to factor in of Mm. will I need to charge my car up on the way is a big deal for me Mm. um and so so you know 
to a certain extent, those conversations that the, the dealer needed to be having is, okay, yes, I'm understanding the customer, the person that's got the money is probably going to make the ultimate decision, but actually understanding the user and what was important to me is also important mm -hmm. because you know, whilst my husband might recommend them because um, obviously it's not a recurring revenue thing with the, the car sales, but it is about referrals. It's about repeat purchase. So when we want another car, are we going to go back to them? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, you know, my husband might say, yeah, the car's great. Yeah, the dealer was great because of mm -hmm. his his experience, his and well-being. But me, longer term, being the main user of this car, what am I going to be saying and what could that dealer have been mm. doing to make my experience better and to sort of, and, and also on an ongoing basis. So this is this idea of well-being um, is that experience, if you look up the definition of experience, it's, it's a moment in time Um and, you know, and we talk about touch points, don't we? Um, mm -hmm. Well-being um, is much more an ongoing state. And, mm -hmm. and you can see that in the car analogy of actually that car plays into a lot of things in my life and sort of my general mental state of, is it going to be stress? Is that car going to be stressing me out? Because actually... It can drive it, itself, they... but I'm going to have a cold bum on. With yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And, uh, oh, am I going to be getting up at um, you know quarter past five tomorrow morning because it's forecast to be frosty? Yeah. Or, <laughs> um, or you know, I'm going to that client down in the the southwest. Might not make and, it. Uh, yeah, I might not make it, or I've got to stop, stop twice, which hour. means I've got yeah. to leave at three. Those mm. sorts of things. And so, I know, are there things that 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 dealer could could do? To, to be helping that so for example I know there could be an option to include um some kind of charging package or recommendations of what apps to use and I know the information around which charging points are the best you know because they're not all the same if you don't know all of this stuff obviously having had an electric car for a while I know some of the pitfalls and the things to look out for and we've done our research but actually could that dealer sort of save me yeah, a bunch but, of time yeah. and mm. stress and worry yeah. by doing extra bits and pieces to mm. to improve that experience and improve my well-being mm. so why do you think it's so important to consider customer user and employee well-being when it comes to implementing technology um well first of all i think um the three are very much interlinked mm -hmm. um so you know we've already touched on so the the customer well-being sort of in that context where we're often talking about the buyer um or we're talking about people like senior management and they are looking for you know a certain thing from from that technology um, like cost and, price <laughs> yeah so there'll be there'll definitely be that but <laughs> And quite often it's these days I'm finding it's quite often around the data. It's the MI that they can get out of it that allows them to make better business decisions. Mm, um, I know. So, so yeah, that, that's really important. However, in order to get that, 
you've got to have that data going in effectively. Mm -hmm. And so therefore mm -hmm. you've got your, your users need to be adopting and buying into using that, that technology mm -hmm. to do that effectively so that the customer can then get their, their desired outcomes as well. So straight away, mm -hmm. you've got that interconnected um, piece mm -hmm. with them. And then from, so from a let's say software company point of view those customers and users are then supported by the software company's employees mm -hmm. um you know and whether that's you know an account development or a customer success team looking after those key stakeholders mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um or whether it's maybe a customer support team that's dealing with support queries or it's a, a training team delivering mm -hmm. that end user training those kind of things mm -hmm. those employees need to be in a positive state and delivering um a good service and so their well-being is important to to do that um and they need the tools and the skills and so on to do that to to feed into those and um, those customers and users so those people that can't see me won't know that I'm kind of drawing circles, circles. so I've, I've got this sort of <laughs> model that is three circles that basically shows that they're continuously moving because you know this is going on all the time and they're continuously feeding into each other and, and then that's to me um is is I call it the the model of uh, business flourishing because I, I base it on a, a model of human well-being um, and that's based mm -hmm. on a book called Flourish. So I've decided to call it Business Flourishing. Is that Martin so, Seligman? Yes. yes. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> the Martin Seligman book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, OK, we'll have to make sure we link that in the show notes as a resource <laughs> that people should go and refer back to. And now for a quick word from one of our sponsors. We are proud to be supported by Kantar, the world's leading evidence-based insight and consulting company. Kantar CX helps clients define customer and employee experience strategies, better understand their customers via measurement, and in turn, improve business outcomes, driving true commercial ROI. To find out more about Kantar CX practice, please visit the sponsor links on the homepage of womenincx.community. Now back to the episode. Um, so I suppose the audience probably thinking, well, how can I adopt this <laughs> way of thinking into what I'm doing? Is, is there any kind of like tips and advice about a process to follow to ensure um, that adoption is going to be easier for all parties? Um, and well yeah, so I, 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 being, sorry. And I'll come back to digging a bit more into well-being in a second. <laughs> but the adoption thing is a, at a practical level. Like what can you, what steps can you take to to support let's say in that digital transformation example to yeah. ensure that it's kind of beyond acceptance it's actively useful and embraceable and people yes. can take that that transition whether they're a customer switching into digital channels or whether they're a, a employee taking on this new system that a company's bought what can we what can we do so um so 
one of the big things you're looking for is you're looking for um commitment not compliance and so you want to think about um what's what's going to take people on the journey where they're going to commit to this change and that's ultimately what we're talking about we're talking about a change mm-hmm. um and thinking it about um a behavior change and one of the big things about that is um if you think about from a behavioral science point of view we talk about people kind of moving from a state of threat to reward mm-hmm. um so you, know, you want to move them away from threat and being threatened by whatever this change is and think about what's going to to reward them um and you know, we, we haven't got time to kind of delve into all the the different um sort of models and tools that you, we could use in that sense but in terms of, to answer your question in terms of a practical sense um one of the the first things that i would start with is is the why uh, you know the key kind of reasons of why why that change is being made um, and then really understanding the stakeholders and that's thinking about all of the different stakeholder groups it's very easy to forget about certain stakeholder groups so for example if I use um, a classic example from my world is um, working with CRM Mm-hmm. Um, suppliers and um, quite often they'll be working with a marketing team or a sales team um, mm-hmm. but actually both teams Very are impacted <laughs> and you need all of them mm-hmm. involved um, mm-hmm. so you you want to do sort of a bit of um, stakeholder analysis and then stakeholder engagement and management and make sure you've got all the right people around the the table and and then that helps you identify what we call in the business analysis world your your senior users so then you can make sure that you've got not only your stakeholders from a business point of view but your user stakeholders as well um Mm. so so then you've got representatives there that can actually give you an idea of what it's like um, on the ground of those people that are going to be using it and getting their their input into things. And it, and it's thinking about, so the next thing is kind of the familiarization piece because technology um, doesn't sit on its own. It sits within a context um, and it's, and it's almost certainly any kind of digital transformation is going to impact processes mm. and so um it's thinking about well what what else needs to change and why is it changing um so it's thinking about all of those um things as well um and sort of what the impact so this links to the the well-being piece is what is the impact of that change because it's very easy for people to be comfortable with what they know and to go um, so my cat's just jumps <laughs> all right um yeah it's very easy to sort of be in your and we talked about it you know when you're in your comfort zone um yeah and actually well I've always done it this way and so it's like well actually people are going to have to do it this way now how Mm. are they going to feel about that or what is the impact of that and and unfortunately but um, I'm sure you've seen this Claire you know sometimes they um digital transformation that's happening to provide a better customer experience doesn't necessarily provide a better employee experience of those people that are 
you know, picking up whatever it is in the background and actually they're getting more frustrated. So the 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 customer, the end customer might, might be getting a much smoother customer journey, but the stuff behind the scenes might actually be taking 10 times longer because you know, everybody's been focused on that customer journey and not the... The, the impact um, on the processes that now gives everyone else yeah. a headache, you have to deal yeah. with that. So, so, um, so just, just to bring in something that um, is from my experience, yeah, which is this tension between the business analysis approach and mm-hmm. I always came in from the service design or experience design point of view. So mm-hmm. I would be pushing brands and businesses to be identifying the target experience that they'd want to offer to their customers in order to inform things like technology decisions and roadmaps. Um, But the kind of conversation you're talking about with business analysis, typically it's requirements gathering, isn't it? And there may well be customer requirements in things like what they need to use it for. Yeah. But that isn't a level of architecture that explains or, or, or defines experience um so there was always tension between me and business analysts yeah usually we managed to work together and you know like bring a a different dimension to transformation that i think is is really quite often missing because they would also pick up a load of stuff that i would never (laughs) which is you know the impact on processes of what else would need to change if that was going to happen so so for me, I think, you know, being able to bring that um, vision together with really good stakeholder uh, analysis, sorry, stakeholder management, business analysis, but being able to work together yes. across experience and um, the BA aspect is super helpful because, you know, my team might do something like user research about needs and goals yep. that can help inform another perspective beyond requirements gathering about people what people functionally need which it tends to be more functional doesn't it rather than uh, perhaps bigger goal orient orientation um but there's a, a challenge that comes here isn't there where um, often it's a technology selection that's been picked off the shelf to solve a business problem that's yep. probably related to reducing cost or driving efficiency it's very very rare that that this this vision piece would happen enough in advance to inform the tech selection and um, process along the way. Like that's my dream. Like the future of yeah. <laughs> customer experience is going to be having a vision that helps to guide and direct this kind of thing for everybody. But um, yeah, and we share that dream. I think you know we we've talked before, haven't we? That um, that one of the big frustrations is when um, things are tech led. Mm-hmm. I know because um, it, it, I suppose someone decides that it's you know a panacea that yes this this technology over here is going to solve all of our problems and so that you lead with that and then and then they've got really great else... salespeople that do actually make it seem like that will be the case but not the integration challenges that you might have with all your legacy systems and challenging culture <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah conversation about how sales teams uh, particularly in software organizations should work would be a whole different podcast episode I think because yeah. let's um, come back for episode two <laughs> yeah um 
because again I think that they they need they need to be doing that upfront work of understanding a lot of that stuff and what that vision and things is rather than leading with the technology and the features because again they do a better job of getting that product um embedded within that organization if you do it that way around rather mm. than just leading with with a tech solution yeah and it's challenging because so much of the budget will sit in a <laughs> dnt team and so many of those decisions get made with no one else in the room representing <laughs> that, yeah that opportunity to influence i used to happen to me all the time when i worked in a gigantic retailer <laughs> I'd be like, oh, we've bought this 360 degree view of the customer. And I would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Deal's already done. Like, we're having it. <laughs> and and then you're you're retrofitting, aren't you? You're just trying to kind of make the best. And I had that with um an organization that I was working for. Um it, actually it was the same organization um that I was managing the the customer training side of things and um a new new system got bought for managing customer training um mm. but we went through a whole requirements gathering process we reviewed um sort of number of vendors um and then it got to purchasing and this is obviously a very simplified version of the story, but yeah, but the purchase... procurement have a completely different set of KPIs, don't they? And hoops to jump through, and success criteria for what makes a good procurement decision. <laughs> well, the simplified version is they said, "Well, have you got something cheaper?" The supplier said, "Well, yeah, we've got this off-the-shelf model. Oh, we'll have that then." <laughs> so all this time that we spent reviewing yeah. um these vendors <laughs> was a complete waste of time because we went for the off-the-shelf thing which didn't work for mm. us at all because the off-the-shelf was that was actually for an internal learning oh. and development department not an external client facing department that was you know selling training courses things have moved on a lot since then and mm. you know the the options have improved but it, it so then the project team were having an absolute nightmare trying to take this thing that no one had selected (laughs) and make it work because it had been Mm. bought and the business had had this expectation that it was going to provide these benefits when it wasn't fit for purpose for that Um, and actually the the funny thing was is that us as a European team we'd moaned and moaned about the system we had and I got to the point that I said to my team went I bet you never thought that you would say that you wished you were hanging on to the old system because in comparison, it was so much better. But from a mm. well-being point of view, that was so painful. Mm. Um, and, and actually, a couple of people lost their jobs over it and it was no fault of their own. So, it, yeah, I learned mm. a lot from that experience, definitely. <laughs> what are those moments we talked about that were painful, but we took a lot from <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Oh, so um, just to kind of summarise then, like, it, I, think, I think it's just a really interesting perspective and I never heard it before. You're definitely the first person I've heard talking about thinking beyond experience and into wellbeing. Um, so just to summarise for the audience, like, why is that so important? Just to make sure we definitely, definitely got this concept. Because I kept saying, we'll talk about that, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we never kind of really did dive into it so 
Like, what is the difference between experience and well-being and why is it so important for businesses to start moving in this direction? Um, so the difference is, is thinking about that ongoing state um, mm-hmm. of of well-being and so not just a single point in time um and it is it's not only sort of that that one piece of well-being it's those interrelated elements of well-being of customer user employee um Mm. and kind of keeping thinking about that and the impact those things so you know i suppose it's you know bringing those people together of its it's the touch points in terms of with the people as well as the product mm-hmm. and all of those things are interrelated mm-hmm. and that's what gives you your well-being you know the the experience bit gives you what we call the positive emotion and um that's the the p of martin seligman's model if anyone wants to to check that out i've adapted the model a little bit further um to to be more applicable um but yeah the p is the positive emotion but that's short-lived and it doesn't have a lasting impact. And what we want is that lasting impact. So we want to be thinking about other elements of well-being that will help um, our products and services have that, that lasting ongoing impact that means that actually people love using them. They're always using them. Um you know they're always talking about them and it it kind of enriches their lives and I know I'm probably thinking kind of I don't know pie in the sky thinking of every product or service enriching lives but I do strongly believe that actually if we give it thought we we can Mm -hmm. think beyond just Mm -hmm. that transactional transactional level yeah and as you said earlier then the knock-on benefits are going to be all the goals and objectives that Yep, businesses want in terms of recurring revenue and uh, repeat purchase and referral and advocacy and all of that lovely stuff yeah um, but rather than that being a marketing strategy it's something that actually comes from providing great experience and well-being over the long yeah. term yeah <laughs> love it and it, it's it's almost like oh well-being's a bit too fluffy a bit woo-woo it's like but actually if you focus on the fluffy woo-woo if that's how you view it you, you can then get the hard like data yeah yeah yeah. so yeah yeah and I I always um I can't remember who I'm actually quoting here but the scores take care of themselves which was in reference to sports um but you know looking after the team looking after the customers and employees in this case will mean that the scores take care of themselves but too much focus is always on the scores and managing the scores and especially when it comes to um, customer experience, there's just way too much that goes into um, managing things like the net promoter score over managing the, yeah. the experience and, and, and the and the well-being, I think, particularly of employees, especially in contact centers where it's such a high stress environment. Um, that, yeah. Yeah. If you could just get 10% more over that way there'd be a 50% increase in the (laughs) yeah definitely and I'd and linked to that I think you know in in my revised model of well-being and there's a T which is trust and Mm -hmm. and, you know and trust comes up so much in terms of personal effectiveness high performing teams high performance business and so on but actually that trust element is really important to well-being and you want trust you want your your customers and your users to trust 
you as a business, mm-hmm. your 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 employees, but also your products and services. And so actually that trust piece, I know for me is key. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we think about it in terms of how are we building trust, then mm-hmm. I think that can be a really helpful way to look at it. Yeah, and that's the Stephen Covey model, isn't it? The speed of trust as well. Mm. The um, competency is like one aspect, isn't it? Yep. Competence, credibility, but without trust, things will never go faster. So yeah. Um, also in terms of us as professionals seeking to create these changes that have a lasting impact that is not disruptive, it's an actual um, beneficial one. Um, yeah. I think trust rings through everything. Is there a way our listeners can read more about your models? Do you have like them available on your website or anything? Or um, I have a book coming out. Oh, uh, I was going to say, yeah, you should write a book. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes. Keep so our eyes peeled for that. <laughs> yeah, they will be available in in that. Amazing. Well, is there one final thought you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation? before we close up today (laughs) um piece of advice takeaway from this conversation anything you like so the the piece of advice I think for me uh, particularly off the back of what we've been um talking about is you know and it's linked to that that stakeholder piece is um have those conversations uh, reach out to the the, the different stakeholders uh, and 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 try and open up those conversations and get everybody talking and getting mm-hmm. everyone around the table and and put in the effort to to sort of understand their view of the world mm-hmm. and then kind of put forward your own um to to kind of get that shared understanding to be able to collectively move forward because ultimately everybody really wants the the same outcomes yep. which is you know which is the the best for for the business and for for the people, people. involved mm-hmm. um so so yeah and I know people can shy away from having those conversations because it's hard and it's challenging you know and, I, and I'm guilty of that myself mm-hmm. um and I'm still very definitely a work in progress but <laughs> yeah I think you know that would be my biggest advice is yeah have have those conversations and um kind of involve all of those stakeholders even though you know you're not necessarily going to want to hear what they've got to say or you might not agree (laughs) yeah totally hear you there um so thank you so much I think just to close the podcast kind of from where we started when you were talking about um the skill that you have for making complicated things simple you demonstrated that aptly today so thank you (laughs) thank you uh, we'll be very excited to follow along and hear more about your book and um, yeah it's just been awesome to be able to chat with you today and just explore that concept more deeply definitely as I said I've not heard anyone else talking about this you're the first so well done for being an innovator and bringing <laughs> your thought leadership to light and yeah can't wait to continue to watch you fly (laughs) with your speaking career as well (laughs) thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure and thanks again for giving me the opportunity you're so welcome and thank you to everybody who listened or watched wherever you are we're always so glad that you're here and we'll see you next time bye for now bye Susanna bye 
Thanks for listening to the Inspiring Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the episode, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about becoming a member of the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out our website, womenincx.community forward slash membership. Join us again next time where I'll be talking to one of our community members from Spain about the importance of understanding users in customer experience design. See you all soon.